my friend was broke. She didn't know what to do or where to turn. I'm Nora Ellen. The reason I began this podcast called Women Starting Over is to help women like my friend who find themselves in financial hardship like divorce or lost their job or went bankrupt or maybe sadly their husband passed away. You will love these real life stories of my guests of how they went from being broke to hope to financial success. If she can do it, so can you. Here we go. Welcome back to Women Starting Over and Moving Up. We have a really fun guest on this show because I want you to know that you have leadership in you. Yes, you do. You've done things in your life that have led people, and that helps you financially, believe it or not. My guest today is unusual in that she's a retired, now she calls it a public policy professional, (laughs) where she served eight years on her city council here in Arizona, a city of about 200,000. She was on that council for eight years, two of the years where she was vice mayor. Before that, she had served on over 75 boards of leadership for different situations, different nonprofits and institutions, some different commissions and committees has to do with school, with state situations, with national policy, children. And she, now I'm having trouble reading my writing, oops, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) sustainability, and helping charter schools. We Here in Arizona, we have what's called charter schools. So it's a little different than public schools, but still public where kids can go without, without paying. And did a lot with that for school choice for us parents because all kids are different, right? Absolutely. And she has three children. She is married. She has five wonderful grandchildren. Now her background for education, she started with becoming a pre-med major, but then she met her husband, felt like that was a God thing to change from that because she was staying with him for his career. And she ended up being a dental hygienist for Mm -hmm. a little while, but after that, changed what she did. So I'm excited to introduce Ani Sakurjian. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Nora. It's nice to be able to visit with you. Right. Ani and I have known each other for several years, and we met because both of us were vice mayors of our cities. We were in sister cities, we call it. Tempe and Chandler Mm -hmm. are joined at the border. Mm -hmm. And she's just amazing. I I love her wisdom. She's posting on social media a lot of times. Just She's like a thought leader. It's good to think through things instead of just listening to the news and just buying into narratives of other people's minds, other people's values. Mm -hmm. She's going to share, how did she end up in this leadership position in a city of over 200,000 people and on 75 boards and committees? And I know beyond a doubt she was asked to be a lot of those, not just asking to 
be in the leadership position. When people recognize leadership qualities, they will ask you <laughs> to mm-hmm. help serve in whatever their cause or institution or or charity is. We are going to start, though, with what Ani's money thermostat was in growing up and how that impacted her as a leader. And then she'll tell you the steps she had in her life leading up to today. Yeah. So, um, Nora, I don't know if we've ever discussed this, but I was raised in a family that had their own family business. Um, In my father's family, they were merchants going back to the early 1800s, homesteading the Ohio River Valley, and um, they were merchants. And so my father and my grandfather actually owned their own business. It was a... um, uh, grocery store in Yuma, Arizona. <clears throat> and my first job was at the age of 10. Um, so my parents, we didn't have a lot of, um, I, I understood the value of a dollar. Um, my, my family was um, um, somewhat dysfunctional. My father was a schizophrenic. I had wow. been diagnosed as schizophrenic, but he could make money hand over fist. <laughs> and I had a lot of extended family who took a great interest in my sister and I and who were a huge influence on our family. So while we had a lot of, dis- we had some dysfunction in it, at the same time, um, we were taught certain things about, for example, the value of a dollar. Um, uh, my first my first job, and I worked part-time, and from then on was at the age of 10. I had my own department in my parents' grocery store, which I stocked, inventoried, and ordered from. Um, and I was, I was, I had to put half of it in the bank and the, the other half I could, I could use to spend on, on it. And I got paid $10 every two weeks for that. And, um, so they, they were teaching us, my sister and I responsibility regarding money pretty early on. And so, um, I understood, in fact, my parents had their own business when I turned 16, I came home from, from getting my driver's license and I came running into the house and said to my dad, I got my driver's license. And he said, great, you can do cold calls and deliveries for me now. Wow. <laughs> so at age 16, as a sophomore in high school, the spring semester of my sophomore year, um, I came home from school at two o'clock, had something to eat. And by three o'clock, I was on the road and I had to be home by 530. And those were in the days where there were no cell phones. And um, I would get in trouble if I wasn't home before, before 530. And I was by myself going out to Apache Junction, which is quite a distance from where we live in the Phoenix metro area. And, but Nora Sonora would understand that. But, um, and out to, to way out to, to Cave Creek, doing deliveries and cold calls for my father. So work ethic was always a big part of what my family talked about. And so when I got married, I married a, a second generation born American Armenian, an engineer. <laughs> and um, we, we got along really well when it came to money because we just didn't spend any that we didn't have to. <laughs> Literally, we didn't spend a quarter that uh, we didn't have to. We were very frugal with our money and careful. And I really wish we had taken some sort of finance class. Uh, like a Dave Ramsey course or some sort of course to help us learn to budget because we would have had more fun. Okay. (laughs) If we we had been able to budget for fun, you know, but we were very serious about being responsible. And so we literally did not spend uh, a dime or a quarter that we, we uh, didn't have to. Uh, He put me through my last two years of college. And, um, and so my money thermostat was um, money. There was plenty of money in my parents' in my family, but, um, and I don't ever remember wanting for anything, but my parents were very clear about, 
you know, you didn't spend money unless you had to, and you were very careful about how you spent money. So okay. I think that was, I was very fortunate in that. Mm-hmm. So. that. That is, and to a point, because we can go over either way, overspend yep. or oversave, like you say, where you get anxious about it. Or, Correct. But I can see how your upbringing definitely led you up to leadership. It's a lot of responsibility, <laughs> and it's great right. you had entrepreneurial parents. Yeah, you know, I was uh, very fortunate in school. I went to a very large high school, Saguaro in Scottsdale. We had 2,400 kids at the school when I was there. I was the student body treasurer my senior year. And um, I was chosen by the American Legion Auxiliary to go to attend Girls State, which was something in those days for leaders. Each school chose leaders out of their, their junior class to go to Girls State and learn about state and city government and county government. And um, then they chose two girls from from that to go to another program called Girls Nation in Washington, D.C. as senators. And I was chosen that year as one of the two girls to go. And um, I, you had to come with a bill prepared to try to pass a bill. Um, and so the bill that I brought with me was to expand the Small Business Administration and give low interest loans to small businesses for women. Nice. And now you got to remember this was 1975. <laughs> and so, yeah, wow. That long, was long before was our time of uh, yeah. right now. That's wonderful, Ani. Yeah. So it was always something. And, and I, and so I had this very entrepreneurial family. And then my, my aunt um, was one of the charter members of the national organization for women. So women's rights were always being uh, plugged. Um, but, from her, but at the same time, my parents were also talking about, uh, and it's one of the, even with all the dysfunction that was in my family, uh, one of the things that they did for me beyond helping me to set that financial thermostat was they made sure that I know, knew Jesus and I knew God. Um, I knew even when we had went through some very, very tough emotional times with my father, um, I always knew that God was there and I always felt that God pulled me to him very, cl- very young. I was uh, 11, 12 years old when I accepted Christ because he knew I was going to need that strength. And, um, and so I was very, very fortunate um, that I, I knew, I knew Jesus, I knew God and I knew he was a presence in my life. Um, so even when the tough times came, you know, he doesn't promise us that we won't go through tough times. He just promises us that he will be there for strength. And since we were never designed to go through this life without uh, that strength of God with us, without that relationship with God, um, I felt very fortunate that I was called to him very early because it, it provided me with the independence I needed to be able to make wise decisions and truly be a leader in my life. He intends for all women and men to be leaders in their own life in consultation with him. And so I felt very fortunate that beyond just not just the responsibility that my parents taught, they always told me I was capable and they showed mm-hmm. it by giving me responsibility. Now, I didn't always like the responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's um, good. <laughs> but that's the funny. message that they sent was that you're capable. You can do this. Yes. We trust you. Mm-hmm. And so um, the message that I was capable and the message that I needed to rely on God as part of my decision-making and as part of when things went wrong and it didn't make sense uh, were important. The other thing that they did I thought was really great was they also 
made it really clear that your perspective mattered. And one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who said it, but it's, it's we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejo- rejoice that thorn bushes have roses. Mm. It's oh, all a matter quote. of how we choose to see our circumstances and how we see ourselves. You know, there are many things I could have taken a different route and decided to be a victim about. But instead, um, I decided that I was going to be victorious over difficult situations with God's help. Um, when I was in seventh grade, I was living with my grandparents in Ohio. My father had been institutionalized at this point. Mm. Um, he was home and he had uh, gotten violent. And my grand, uh, when we had to call the police to come get him and take him back to this institution. And I watched from a picture window with my grandmother as they were putting him in the squad car and he was fighting them. It was a really horrible situation for a 12 year old to to watch. But my grandmother put her arm around me and said, you know, honey, this is a terrible situation and you cannot in your life always control your circumstances, but you always have control over how you decide to respond to it. You can either make, let this kind of thing make you weaker or you can let this kind of thing make you stronger. And that decision is really up to you. Wow. I found that so <sighs> empowering. Wow. Amazingly empowering. She was a woman of God and uh, a, an amazing woman. And years later, when my oldest baby was nine months old, my grandmother and my mother came to visit. We set up one night, laid into the night and visited. And I remind, and just about, not just about family things, but about women in three different generations. And I saw a side of my grandmother, kind of an earthy side that I'd never seen before. Um, But I said to her, you know, grandma, my nine month old baby was sleeping in my arms and it was like two in the morning. And I, and we were talking and gabbing and eating. And I said, grandma, I said, you said something to me that winter I lived with you. And I recalled the story to her. And she said, really? She said, I don't remember saying that. And it struck me as I'm holding this nine month old baby (laughs) the power that my grandmother as a leader in my family had on me and how powerful her words were to me. She had something, she had said something that she never wasn't, wasn't important enough for her to remember that impacted me and impacted the way I made decisions. Um, So I credit her for making it clear to me that, you know, yeah, I can't always control a a situation that's kind of crummy. But I do have control over how I let it affect me. And so um, that was a great, a great lesson. So same thing with money. You know, um, when money was tight, I had a, I had, I may not have been able to control that for the moment. And there were times in our marriage where money was tight when my husband decided to take a job that paid much less because of one reason or another. We just, we had the ability to tighten our belts and we had a, we, we had the responsibility and we had the freedom to basically decide how we were going to respond to that. And mm-hmm. we did so cheerfully and realizing that it God had a plan for us. And so um, it's kind of a mix of different kinds of ideas, but that's kind of how, how we did that. Now, you, you asked about how I got from, you know, from my beginnings to being a leader in my community and a lot of it had to do with God putting me in the right place at the right time. But a lot of it, a lot of it had to do with my volunteer work. And I always did things. I was always told, and I've told my own children, that no matter what you're doing, if, no matter how menial of a task, you always go above and beyond. 
what is the minimum that's required of you. So many people today only do the minimum. And so when someone just does even a little bit above the minimum, people notice. Mm -hmm, And and they do, and opportunities present themselves. So through the the volunteer work I did, chairing different committees at the schools, um, taking leadership roles at at my kids' schools in terms of PTOs, uh, site councils, I was asked to serve on different boards and commissions and committees at the state level, some of them influencing legislation. Um, and then um, from there, um, and but I always tried to do not just my very best, but always give them, always look for other things I could do that would enhance what we were trying to do. And so it's a, it's a subtle thing that makes a huge difference. And as a result of that, I had, I had people in the area of public policy research come to me and ask me if I wanted to work with them. So my second career was, first career was as a dental hygienist, but my second career was as a background researcher in education uh, reform public policy. For about 10 years, I did that. And I had about uh, half a dozen clients because of people that I knew through my volunteer work. Um, and then I, as a, as a side, because I wanted to make a difference in my community, I volunteered to work on political campaigns. I li- I'm a I'm a definitely a organizer. I enjoy organizing things. And um, so I would do oh, different kinds of um, charts to show who needed to do what, when they needed to do it, and what were the expectations were. I had several candidates who loved that and did it as a volunteer to get me out of the home uh, so that I could have some adult time with people and not just be talking <laughs> kid language, which can be very isolating. <laughs> That's and, true. Um, I loved, uh, I still do uh, advising of I, every election cycle. I have probably, oh, three to five people who will call me and say, hey, can you talk to this candidate about how to organize their campaign? In fact, Nora, I think you sent me somebody a few years ago and sat down and talked with them. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed doing that. But as a result of that, um, I had somebody who actually, the mayor of our town at the time, our community at the time, came to me because I'd worked on his campaign. I was chairman of his his campaign and asked me if I'd run for council. And I never really had any um, ambitions for that. I always enjoyed working with other groups of people who were hardworking and who were leaders in their own right. And I figured you've got to have good people behind good candidates. And I wanted to see good leaders in our, in our uh, public policy positions. So um, it was through my my volunteer work that I ended up getting recruited. Um, and along the way, the interesting thing is I'm definitely a second wave feminist. I believe women should have the same opportunities that men should have. Um, I'm, I can't get into the third and fourth wave feminism because <laughs> okay. I don't think that's feminism. That's, um, yes. The choice that I made, because for me, feminism was about allowing, giving me choices of how to live my life. I went a very traditional route, and that was I chose to be a stay-at-home mom for a while Mm -hmm. um, because that's what my my husband and I both believed was best for our kids. And I'm very, very fortunate. I've been married 43 years to the same man, and he would actually see me nursing a baby early in the morning before he went off to work, and he would hug me and thank me for being willing to be home. That's nice, yeah. It was wonderful, Mm -hmm. and... And now, you know, after I retired from the city, I'm, I re- jokingly refer to the time I'm in now as my gap-filling um, season <laughs> because I'm gap-filling for my daughters. I have one daughter who is uh, 
director of manufacturing for a major biotech company here in Arizona. And my other daughter has her MBA and is working uh, in her husband's international company. So both of one works, the one that works with her husband works part-time. The other one works full-time plus and she's single. So I, um, I fill in for them with their children. And the only reason I'm able to do that is because my husband's willing to work additional years um, and, and not retire as soon as he had hoped to. Yeah. Um, and that's because that's what we feel will strengthen our family. So, um, so the way I got to that point was really by being a leader in my own life, listening to God, asking the Holy Spirit to come and to guide me um, and tell me when to shut up and tell me when to speak out. <laughs> put the words in my mouth that I need to say when I have to deliver a, a hard message. I'm, I'm not afraid of conflict. Um, I don't like it, but I'm not afraid of it. My husband will say that I, he doesn't believe I don't like it, but um, I don't like it. But I often think that sometimes uh, avoiding conflict uh, creates more problems. And I saw that Absolutely. in my own. Absolutely. That's true. Amazing. Right. So, yeah. So that's kind of how I got there. That is a wonderful journey. And what is amazing is that simple things your parents said to you didn't take a lot. You're capable. I love that. Yes. Just the words we say, some people think, well, I've got to beat them into being uh, successful. No, you know, doing the opposite. Oh, you're a loser. You know, so yeah. thinking, <laughs> just just say the words. It's not hard at all. And yeah. how wonderful with your grandmother Something oh, yeah. so simple about how you can't control everything, but you can control how you you process it and, and how you handle it. And I really like how you have said you are the leader of your own life. And that yeah. is true. In my book, I talk about being the CEO yeah. of your own life. And then also in my book, I talk about leadership and the importance of it and serving and for those that are needing to start over getting involved in the community there's different ways of doing that even if you think you don't have time you can get on the phone and encourage somebody and build them up and it opens the doors for you even financially so leadership wise mm -hmm. financially there's always a way when we give we receive. We don't end up empty-handed, and our motives matter. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. Definitely matter with that. So I love how you, your family background did impact you. And so even having a father that was diagnosed with schizophrenia, yeah. you did not have to choose that journey where you looked at yourself as a uh, trouble or or mm -hmm. anything like that and oh, i was trouble <laughs> I, was, I was a real headstrong toddler um i can remember holding my breath until i passed out at age three <laughs> if i didn't get my way and i love i only did it a few times but i remember it because the look on my mother my mother was a very strong-willed woman and the look on her face when i would do that she was totally helpless and i thought wow mm. I, I kind of like this I'm <laughs> and um, but my mom learned that last time I did it, and I remember this very clearly, um, last time I held my breath when I didn't get my way until I passed out was she had a glass of water in her hands and she threw it in my face. 
Oh, okay. And you automatically take a breath. Ah. And I remember thinking, dang, it's not going to work anymore. <laughs> that is funny. Even as a three-year-old, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. But I was I was a very compliant, when I say compliant, mm-hmm. it was important to me as a teen, for example, to be obedient and listen to, to my parents. I had no, res- I will tell you, I did what my father asked me to do, but I had no respect for him because of his mental illness. I didn't really understand it. Um, and many years was very angry about him. He, he was what I never wanted in a marriage. In fact, I never thought I would get married. And God led me to my husband, who is so different from my father. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew exactly what I didn't want for my children. My children lived a very... Oh. oh, no. Okay. Somehow we lost our connection. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure what happened to Ani. Let me call her and see if we can reconnect here. She has such a fabulous story. Definitely worth sharing. <laughs> I don't know if that was on my end or hers, but let's see what happened here. And wow, I've never had that happen before. Okay, well, thank God for technology because that just we just got right back on here. And you were saying, (laughs) well, you know, um, the thing is that's kind of interesting about. on a minute. Let's see. The thing that I find most interesting about the whole journey with my father was my husband was very, he's very different than my dad was. My dad was just an incredible salesperson. Uh, You had no idea he was troubled. He was a believer, but it was very distorted. His, and I believe that what distorted it was his mental illness. Mm-hmm. and my husband was the one who said to me many years ago, but when I was an adult and I had children of my own, he said, you need to, you need to forgive your dad mm-hmm. um, because this is, this is eating you up. And, um, and I did, so I forgave him and it then occurred to me when he passed, I had a, a luncheon with him um, a couple months before he died. And I sat at this uh, and my, my goal with meeting with him was to just be kind, but not encourage a relationship because my children had never met him. He lived seven miles from us and they'd never met him. Mm. And, um, so I, I want, I wanted to be kind, but I didn't want to encourage a relationship. And, um, I sat there and I remember thinking, wow, this, this conversation, I remember as a kid, this kind of conversation with him, was weird at the time, but when you've been away from it for so long, it's strikingly weird. Mm. And, um, but I came away from that. He died a few months later and Mm. afterwards it occurred to me that I, he's a believer and, um, I never knew him well. And so someday when I go to heaven, I will see him. Well, I will know him as a different person. Mm. And so I don't carry the burden of that anymore. I feel like, uh, you know, I didn't have a normal growing up in terms of a father figure who I could respect and look to for advice and that kind of thing. But I had grandfathers that were incredible men. And, um, and I had, I had uh, a mother who loved me, but, but I had really strong grandparents who had huge influence in my life. My grandfather who lived in Ohio was a, uh, 
he was a county official, elected county official for many years, very active in the Ohio Republican Party for many years. And they were leaders in their community. And uh, first campaign I ever worked on was one of his. Um, and my other grandfather was also involved in civic affairs. He was the CEO and president of the Glendale, um, Arizona uh, Chamber of Commerce in the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s. So they were both, I, I had, a God surrounded me and put me in a place where I had lots of adults who mattered to me, who could influence me, even though I was in this very dysfunctional thing. I believe the dysfunctional situation actually made me a stronger person. Mm. And in fact, I wondered about raising kids in a situation where mom and dad loved each other and didn't have really weird undercurrents going on, how my children would become strong. And what happened is they, they face other challenges later in life that I had to face when I was quite young. Mm -hmm. Kind of an interesting thing, but you know, you want to protect your kids and you want them to be in a safe situation, but those situations that are perilous at times where you have to rely on God, um, they develop you. Yes. They develop you in ways and gives you strength early on that otherwise you don't you don't get. Right. That is so well said. And this is so encouraging. I didn't know that about your dad, but for the yeah. our sister listening, if you are struggling with some kind of mental, emotional issue, problem you can still make money. That's that's the yeah. encouraging thing. You can you can yeah. still function or you know a loved one who is living with someone like that is I loved what Ani's grandmother said about we can control ourselves and how we we see something. So I just I right. think that is such a hopeful situation or if you grew up with a parent that mm-hmm. had mental illness, you can yeah. still yourself be your own leader, like like Ani said. So we're at the end. Is there another minute, something that you want to share, Ani, we didn't touch on before we go? Just honestly, the older I get, the more important God is in my life. The more apt, more often I rely on Him. Mm-hmm. He gives me peace in certain circumstances I can't control. Um, I know He's still on the throne, and I know that He's still in control. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have heartache or difficulties, but I know I'll get through them, and I know he has a plan for me. That is probably then the most important lesson I've learned in my life, and I learned it young, but I keep relearning it, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't think you're ever really done. <laughs> right. No, I, I think you're, that, that is really true about that, and it's the same for me. I God in my life. And that's one reason I'm doing this podcast is I want women around the world to know God loves them, has a plan for their lives, wants relationship. And I do touch on all of that in my book, Women Starting Over and Moving Up, Building Financial Success on Your Own Terms. So I hope my sister listening will get my book and go to my website, womenmovingup.com to get your own autograph copy from me. And it has wonderful insight. How do you start over if you have to, or even if you choose to, or if you are working for someone else, how do you move up? How do 
you improve yourself. It's a very unusual book. The reason I wrote it, I couldn't find anything on the market myself. When I would put in women starting over, it was only about relationships, you know, how to date, how to how to find another man, not how to take care of yourself financially. So you don't make the man your financial plan, which I did years ago. So Mm -hmm. Ani, thank you. And to our sister listening in, thank you so much. Feel Mm -hmm. free to go to my website too. You can read some of the interviews I've done or you can listen to the bot, gives me the podcast there and shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you, especially if you have a starting over story to share or you know someone else. Thank you very much and bye for now. Well, my friend, thank you for letting me be with you today. Please leave a review so that women that need help can find this podcast. I am Nora Ellen, your host. See you next time on Women Starting Over.